This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company contributing writer and editor Anissa Pribasari Horden, coming to you from Auckland, New Zealand. And I'm Fast Company assistant editor Pavithra Mohan, filling in for Kate Davis. This week, we're tackling how to deal with the beast that is procrastination, why so many of us struggle with it, why we can't just quit, and why our emotions actually have a lot to do with how we view it. So I don't know about you, Pavithra, but this whole COVID-19 situation, I feel, has really exacerbated some of my worst procrastination tendencies. Yeah. (laughs) I feel exhausted by it just thinking about it. Um, And I think a lot of that, or at least a good amount of that, is, you know, not totally within our control. Um, We're obviously in an unprecedented situation, and it's really hard to stay off Twitter and stop reading the news, especially for those of us who need to be Um, you know, paying attention to it. But I've definitely found that I'm struggling more with writing, which is weird because I typically find it easier to write at home. But I think it's also the area that I struggle most with, quote unquote, procrastination. So how would you say your procrastination habit um, has changed uh, in the midst of the pandemic? You know, is there something that you struggled with before that you're finding harder to uh, mitigate now? Yeah, so it's interesting because I feel like I was never one of those people that finished things way earlier before the deadline, but I always start with that intention and started projects way in advance. So, um, for example, I always use my taxes because every year I'd start filing in February. But for whatever reason, I always ended up just submitting them one or two weeks before the deadline. And when I think back about why that is, it's not because I procrastinate in quotation marks. It's because I'm a chronic overcommitter and I never have enough time to do everything. So what ends up happening is that I end up prioritizing things with the earliest deadline. And I feel like a lot of those things that I used to fill up my days aren't possible to do or I don't have to do them anymore. So combined with the unpleasant feelings and anxiety that we're all experiencing, I feel like it makes it just that much harder to sort of tackle those big projects, even when I have started them way in advance. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that issue as well. So it sounds like for you, not being constantly busy or having kind of the same routine as you usually do is a trigger for procrastination. You know, it probably is. I never really thought about it in those terms, but when I was explaining it just like that then, I realized that it's what it is. Uh, Listeners who read the work-life section of Fast Company's website probably know that procrastination is something we cover a lot. Uh, One of our most popular article ever actually is one that we syndicated from Zapier, which is, it's a web um, application integration company. And it's literally titled, Procrastination is an Emotional Problem. And the gist of that is that there's this misconception that procrastination is a time management issue, but it's actually an emotional management issue. Because when we procrastinate, we do so with the understanding that we're probably going to regret it down the road. But we do it anyway because the emotions that we associate with doing that task is so unpleasant and we'd rather do something that makes us feel good in the moment and we don't want to confront the unpleasant feelings associated with whatever it is that we're putting off. 
Right. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That's also why we do something else like, say, watch TikTok or maybe cook or clean the house, you know, something that kind of provides immediate gratification. Yeah, I remember seeing a statistic about college students' dorms and how clean they are before exams. <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of like, you know, just really exemplifies procrastination in its purest form. Um and I think that's why the anticipation of doing the task is often worse than it seems. I mean, I know for me, once I get started on something, it's usually never as bad as what my head makes it out to be. And I feel like now we have more time to confront the insecurities that I have towards my work that I just didn't have time to entertain when I was constantly busy. So, I mean... You might identify with this, Pavithra, but I find that perfectionist tendencies like, oh, is this work going to be good enough? Um, and, you know, you couple that with anxieties around what what our industry and our working world is going to look like in the next few months and years. And I feel like it's just a perfect recipe for feeling paralyzed. And, of course, my instinct to counteract that is with a dopamine hit. <laughs> yes, um, that does sound familiar. And I think my experience with this is pretty similar. Um, my issue has never been focusing. You know, I feel like that was drilled into me over years of uh, violin practice and <laughs> such things. But I, I think my focus has waned, you know, certainly over the years, just as we've had more and more distractions, but also with everything that has that is going on right now. Um, you know, usually I if I get started on something, I can keep at it for hours and like probably to a fault because it actually makes it hard for me to go to bed if I'm in the middle of something. Um, but I feel the same way as you do that a task is gonna be so much worse than it really is. Even though I obviously know how to write a story, it's still like starting the process yeah. feels so daunting. Um, and it's, it's weird because I, I keep feeling like that should go away and that I, I should wake up and just be able to churn out a story without any of those feelings of anxiety or insecurity. But I, I think that's just something we have to keep working on. Uh, like you said, it's an emotional problem. So yeah, I think we, we probably have very similar experiences with this. And I think it's also linked in my case to imposter syndrome and, and those issues. <laughs> so it's all kind of yeah. connected. Um, and right now, you know, we already work in a pretty precarious industry and it feels like it's on even shakier ground. So that's a lot to take in and it's it's hard to work and be productive when you feel like you may not have a job or you, you're not sure what your industry is gonna look like in a few months. So I, I think that's a lot to deal with and I feel like I need to keep reminding myself that this is not a normal <laughs> situation to be in. Yeah, it is interesting because though I do sometimes wonder, it's like, well, we already know we're in a precarious industry and layoffs and pay cuts aren't exactly an abnormal thing uh, to hear in an industry. And it's just, and you know, like with writing, it, it, I feel the same way, even though I've done it for a long time. I don't, what, I don't know what it is about writing. I know. Um, it makes it so hard to start that it's like, you, you just convince yourself that it's, that you just convince yourself that it's like this really, really difficult climb, even though it's like, no, I do this every day, but every yeah. day yeah. I still get like that pang of anxiety. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of people who write for a living say they don't like writing or they express these same laments on Twitter <laughs> um, and, you know, talk about how difficult it is to just kind of get started. So, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I wish I could say that I figured it out, but I have not. 
Yeah. Well, we've established a root of procrastination, <laughs> and it seems like it's a similar root to why so many writers hate writing. Um, <laughs> I think now we should move on to how we can... I don't want to say combat because I feel like procrastination is a natural human thing unless you're one of those people who procrastinate, but that's a whole topic for another day. Um, but maybe we can talk about how we can work with it and ensure that it's not stopping us from actually doing the things that we find meaningful. Have you found any successful hacks for tackling procrastination? So I mentioned that my procrastination is largely an issue with writing, which as we've discussed, is not atypical. Um, so this is a work in progress, as I said. You know, I'm constantly uh, trying to remind myself that I've done this many times and it's just a matter of starting. So I don't know that I have hacks per se, um, but one thing I do try to do is not really break up my writing too much so that I don't kind of pull myself out of that flow state and have to like get back into it because I think that's the part that is most difficult is just like, getting over that initial hurdle. Um, so I try to block off time or, you know, try to arrange my interviews in such a way that I have a certain number of hours to write. But obviously that's not always doable. We all have meetings, we all have yeah. um, obligations. Um, but the thing I dread most is when I have calls scheduled with like a half hour break in between because I know I'm not gonna get much done in that time beyond answering a few emails. <laughs> So yeah, those are like dead time. I hate that time. Yeah, just sit there it's and it's awful. like, yeah, yeah. And I think that it's, it's really hard to write when, you know, you're trying to fit it in, um, in those small chunks. And so I think one thing I've tried to do, especially when I'm feeling really stuck and like having tr trouble getting started is do something else that's related to my writing assignment, but feels lower stakes. So, you know, transcribing is a good example, even though it's not exactly a fun activity. I think it still feels like you're doing something and being productive um, and you are making headway. Um, and sometimes I've found that the issue is just that I haven't organized my thoughts or made some sort of an outline. And once I do that, it can be a lot easier for me to get started on the writing. Um, and another thing I think that works for some people is just writing out of order, you know, starting in a place that feels more natural um, or easier to kind of get into and not, you know, trying to work on the lead, which can sometimes be the hardest part. So I think a lot of, like I said, a lot of my issues have to do with writing specifically. Um, but as for how to just navigate this period, because I think a lot of this is exacerbated right now, I'm not great with work-life balance as is. So I will say working from home has made that a little worse. Um, but between that and between the fact that I'm feel like acutely aware that I'm lucky to be healthy and, you know, able to work from home. I've definitely been beating myself up a bit for not being as productive as I should be or, you know, feeling like I have no excuse uh, not to be productive at the moment. So I'm just trying to kind of ease up on that and allow myself to spend time doing other things, you know, whether that's cooking or reading before bed and, and just trying to create some sort of space because I think a lot of people are having trouble with that right now um, and I, I think it's just it's not helpful and it's not healthy to keep telling yourself that you should be more productive than you are at the moment yeah I definitely identify with that especially because in the past I think my go-to mechanism as I mentioned with procrastination has been to overextend myself so I just don't have a choice but to complete the task and I would definitely not recommend that for anyone especially now because it almost always ends in burnout. And honestly, right now, I feel like just 
accomplishing you know I just don't think that's physically at least for me it's not physically or mentally possible to overextend myself um one of the things that I found helpful although again this is a constant work in progress is just to learn to embrace the messy process and accept that it's going to take longer for me to finish things and just sort of tell myself that it's like okay maybe there's going to be two hours where I'm sitting in front of the computer and I'm like I've written like two sentences and I'm reading a whole bunch of like random articles that have got nothing to do with what I'm writing but that's okay that's just part of the process it's just going to take longer um, and it's kind of the opposite of what I actually do I set myself really really unambitious goals like I don't know sometimes if I've gotten like two interviews done and I've outlined an article I'm, a, I'm sort of I give myself little rewards for just small things that feel like it's you know that feels big in this time and I try and sort of accept that I'm going to take more breaks than usual so you know rather than taking I don't know I mean I'm like you I'm probably also terrible at taking breaks but if I do I don't usually take it for more than like half an hour in the middle of the day and if I need to take two or three of that then that's fine and I don't know it is reframing to give myself self-compassion which lots and lots of research shows that it's actually the most effective thing to combat procrastination because sometimes the beating yourself up is actually what makes it worse and makes you want to avoid what you're doing even more and yeah like it's a it's a work in progress but it's something that I'm trying to implement more of and hopefully even after this is all over it's something that I can continue doing yeah yeah I I agree that I think just making yourself busy um doesn't it's not the sort no. of thing that's sustainable because I've definitely done that as well in the past. And I just, yeah, I, I think especially right now, it's it's not the most realistic <laughs> goal. No. So, yeah, I, it's so much of it really is reframing. And I feel like, you know, when you're younger, there is, um, I don't know, that procrastination isn't really talked about in the way that it should be as, as an emotional problem. Um, and I think that's that's really not helpful. Yeah, it's not a it's not a discipline problem, people, or anything to do with willpower. Please do not like believe that myth. Yes, yes, I think that's so damaging, and so many people think that. And it, again, it that's not helpful at all. It doesn't it doesn't mitigate your procrastination, and that's something I'll definitely be working on. I actually talked about willpower and internal triggers with author Nir Ayal, so we'll be right back with that after a quick break. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So joining me today on the show is author Nir Ayal. So Nir, we've been discussing procrastination on today's episode, and it's, it's hard not to talk about procrastination without talking about distraction, which is the subject of your latest book, Indistractable. So what made you want to write about this subject? Because I procrastinated like crazy. That's why <laughs> I, I was patient zero here. I mean, I remember the, the really seminal moment was when I was sitting with my daughter and we had this afternoon planned and uh, we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could do together. And one of the questions in the book that was supposed to help daddies and daughters kind of bond was, if you could have any superpower, what power would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, I was diddling around on my phone, something had caught my attention on my device, and I became distracted. 
and I blew this perfect daddy-daughter moment. And so while all procrastination is not distraction, uh, you know, procrastination is a form of distraction, the bigger problem, the bigger issue is us not doing what we say we will do. And so that's when I decided after I'd realized what had happened, uh, I kind of had to reconsider my relationship with distraction. I said, you know what, if I could have any superpower, I would just want this very attainable goal. Some people don't have this problem. I just want the ability to do what I say I'm going to do. If I say I'm going to work out, I want to go work out. If I say I'm going to eat healthy, why don't I do it? If I say I'm going to work on that big project, God, wouldn't it be amazing superpower? What a skill to just follow through, to just live with personal integrity. Because the, the fact of the matter is everybody knows what to do, right? There's no more information gap. We all know basically how to lose weight, eat right, and exercise. We all basically know how to have better relationships, be fully present with people. We know how to do better at our job, do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. We know the answers. We don't need to go buy some book to tell us the answers. What we don't know how to do is how to stop getting distracted. How do we stop doing the things we know we should do and start doing the things we ourselves say we should? Yeah. Yeah. So you have talked about there being kind of these internal and external triggers for our distractions. So could you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So we tend to blame when it comes to distraction, we tend to blame the external triggers, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in the outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. That's kind of the usual suspects, right? My kids distracted me, my phone distracted me, whatever, something outside of me distracted me. And that, that is legitimate, right? There are lots of external triggers. But what we find from a time study perspective, what we find tends to distract people much more is not the external triggers, but rather the internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. Loneliness, fatigue, boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, that is the root cause of much more distraction and procrastination than the things we tend to blame, like our cell phones and technology, et cetera. So I do want to talk a little bit about those external triggers, triggers though, because I think we are living in a time of peak distraction. Um, and I think even more so right now, this feels very relevant since so many of us are quarantined and I think trying to navigate this new uh, work environment. And so we are especially right now, so kind of interconnected and you know, very much out of necessity that there is always an email or a Slack message or a push notification, you know, something that's kind of pulling us away from whatever it is we're doing. And actually your, your last book, Hooked, became something of a Bible in Silicon Valley for creating some of the products that we use today or the, you know, kind of creating the habit forming that allows uh, products to kind of hold our attention. So I guess, would you agree that there are a lot of external triggers and that this, it is like, while as you're saying, these internal triggers are actually the bigger issue, I think we do have a lot externally to kind of contend with right now. Would totally. you agree with that? Right. So w the thing is with external triggers, they're actually pretty easy to control. And the, the thing we need to do to control the external triggers is to hack back. And the, I use the term hack uh, because a computer hacker in, in, you know, in, in uh, computer hacker parlance to hack means to gain unauthorized access to something. And there is no more secret here. Everybody knows that media companies, whether it's Facebook or uh, uh, WhatsApp or mm -hmm. Snapchat or CNN or the New York Times or whoever, they're all hacking your attention. 
Yeah. They all want to gain access to your time and attention. That's how they make money. Every mm -hmm. media company makes money by selling your eyeballs to mm -hmm. advertisers. That's their business. Does anybody not know that? We all know <laughs> that. And so we need to face that fact and realize that while that might be their business model, we are much more powerful than they are. There's nothing Zuckerberg can do if you turn off your notifications, right? <laughs> two thirds of Americans never take that step. Believe it or not, two thirds of people with a smartphone right. never take five minutes to turn off their notification settings. What? <laughs> I mean, give me a break. That's, that takes five minutes. So that's right. the easy stuff, right? We mm -hmm. can hack back those external triggers on our technology. The harder external triggers to hack back are the ones that actually people rate as the most distracting. You know what the number one source of distraction in the modern American workplace? This is a study that was done before the corona crisis. 80% mm -hmm. of survey respondents said the number one source of distraction, the thing that took them off track most often, was not their phone, wasn't Slack, wasn't their computer, it was their colleagues. <laughs> Other people, because most right. people in America work in an open floor plan office, at least we used to before the corona crisis. Mm -hmm. Other people was the number one source of distraction. Right. So yes, we've changed our environments now that so many of us are, are at home working from home because of, of uh, trying to social distance. But we've really just exchanged one potential distraction for another because now you sure. don't have your colleagues tapping you on the shoulder. You've got your kids tapping on your shoulder. Right. Right. The good news is that there's a lot we can do about that. So I do want to talk about internal triggers again, because I think, as you said, that's a lot more challenging for people to uh, mitigate and, you know, seem that seems more central to our issue with procrastination. So, right. you know, wh what is what are the internal triggers that are typically fueling our issue with distraction um, and how do we kind of address that effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the first place to start. This is really the elephant in the room that procrastination and distraction is not a character flaw. It's not something wrong with you. It is an emotion regulation problem. And the good news is that the vast majority of people can learn how to regulate their emotions better. You see, when it comes to distraction and procrastination, people tend to fall into two categories. We have what we call the blamers mm -hmm. and the shamers. Mm -hmm. The blamers, they say, oh, it's Slack, it's Facebook, it's my boss, it's my kids, it's the, I hear this all the time, it's the modern world these days, right? As if we can do anything about that stuff. You can't, right? You're not gonna wind back the hands of time. These things are here to stay. So being a blamer is fruitless. The other extreme is the shamer. The, the shamer doesn't blame things outside themselves, they shame themselves. They say, oh, I always do this. I always get distracted. I'm such a procrastinator. They make it part of their identity. Uh, you know, here I go again. I'm so lazy. I'm not good at this job. Uh, and so doing all that, that shame has been shown to increase that discomfort associated with these internal triggers. And what do we do when we feel more uncomfortable? We look for escape right. with Da, 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 more <laughs> distraction. <Yes. laughs> and so being a shamer also doesn't work. So we don't want to be a blamer. We don't want to be a shamer. We want to be what we call a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility not for their feelings. This is a really important point. You cannot control your urges and feelings. You do not have control over them, just like you can't control the urge to sneeze. What you can do is control how you respond to those sensations, right? You can respond to that urge to sneeze by sneezing all over everyone and getting them sick and it's super gross, or you can pick up a handkerchief, right? So you can choose how you respond, hence the word responsibility. So a claimer 
has tactics ready. They have methods at their disposal so that when they feel these uncomfortable internal triggers, boredom, uncertainty, fatigue, loneliness, when they feel those internal triggers, they don't look for habitual escape from that sensation. They're not looking to just get out of that sensation with too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you name it. They look for ways to harness that discomfort in a healthier manner that leads them towards traction rather than distraction. Because one of the things we have to first appreciate about these emotional triggers is that feeling bad is not bad, okay? A lot of people, especially because I blame the self-help community for this, a lot of people are told that if you're not happy all the time, how many books have happy in the title? And if you're not you know, contented with your life, if everything isn't super awesome all the time, then something's wrong with you. That is the biggest load of malarkey. That is not true. Feeling bad is not bad. We have to stop thinking of it as bad. Feeling discomfort is a signal, right? It's a prompt that gets you to do something. Now, what you do with that sensation is up to you. So what I, what I, what I teach is methods from acceptance and commitment therapy. It's, you know, this is eight decades old research around how we can harness that discomfort so that it leads us towards traction rather than distraction. It, it, it sort of requ- it requires a lot of work on yourself and um, being kind of introspective and thoughtful about the things that are really grabbing your attention. Um, you know, you kind of you have to steer- your, your emotion, your sense, your responses to your sensations, right? Right. And this isn't about mindfulness and meditation. I want to be very clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, too many books are about mindfulness and meditation. Not that that stuff doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's just been talked about to death. Sure. So I'm my book is not about mindfulness and meditation. If that works for you, great. But I'm guessing if you're listening to this episode, it's not working so much for you. It didn't work for me either. I mean, I tried meditating for a year. It's great if it works for you. It didn't work for me because look, there are two only two paths right? When you feel these internal triggers, loneliness, uncertainty, fatigue, everyone experiences these things. You only got two choices to deal with them. Either you can fix the source of the problem, right? Fix whatever it is causing you that discomfort, a difficult home life, uh, an oppressive workplace culture, whatever it might be that's causing the source of the distraction, fix it when you can, but some things are out of your control right? Many of these sensations are just part of being a human being, right? Feeling loneliness, anxiety, uncertainty, fatigue, that is part of being human. And in those cases, we need special techniques. We need methods at our disposal so that when we feel these internal triggers, we don't just look to escape from them with procrastination or distraction. We can deal with them in a healthier, in a healthier manner. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as you say, you know, tamping them down or pretending those feelings don't exist is, is not the answer. So you kind of have to acknowledge them and accept them and try to figure out how to move uh, beyond that. So, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I do want to talk about, you know, the idea of company culture and this is all especially relevant right now as so many companies are kind of navigating this new terrain and, um, you know, we're all working remotely and trying to figure out what that looks like. And I think it's great that we, you know, we're seeing more now more than ever before the value of having all these products that allow us to stay connected and do our jobs from our homes. And that's wonderful. But I think for many people, the result is that they're sort of expected to be more accessible and communicative to kind of create that uh, uh, work environment remotely, right? And so do you have any other specific recommendations for people who are trying to curb distractions, whether that's from, you know, their workplace or simply at home while they're going through this kind of difficult period and working from home full time? 
Sure. So the, the four steps of becoming indistractable, number one is mastering the internal triggers. That's the most important thing you can do is to have tools at your disposal so that when you feel this emotional discomfort, what do you do that leads you towards traction as opposed to distraction? There's all kinds of things you can do. I talk about the 10 minute rule, acceptance commitment therapy, reimagining triggers, reimagining the tasks. There's a, a litany of different tactics you can use, but that's the most important first step is to realize most distraction begins from within. It's about an emotion regulation problem. And so if you have ways to deal with them in a healthier manner, that's the most important first step. The second step is to make time for traction. Part of the reason that so many people are struggling with procrastination and distraction these days is because when we work from home, right, when we are you know, social distancing and we don't have the constraints of I need to be at an office, at a desk, I don't have people around me looking at me so I can check Facebook whenever I want, that lack of constraints is driving people crazy. And they don't realize that that is the problem. That without having a bit of, uh, of a guideline, a, 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 a set calendar, we procrastinate all day long. Oh, I'll get to it later or tomorrow or the next day because there aren't the constraints. We can be in our pajamas and nobody would know and we can you know, play Candy Crush and nobody would know. And so this is the, the, the second step and it's absolutely critical is to turn your values into time. What I want you to do is to ask yourself, what are your values? What are your values? Your values are attributes of the person you want to become. And then what I want you to do is to ask yourself, how would the person you want to become spend their time. And there are three life domains we can ask ourselves. How would the person I want to become spend their time taking care of me, right? You time. So that's education, prayer, meditation, rest, proper nutrition. How much time would that person devote to those tasks? Put that in your calendar. How much time would that person devote to relationships, right? Time with your friends virtually or checking in on your parents or spending time with your kids. How much time would that person spend on those things? Put that in your calendar. And then finally, the work domain. How much time would that person you want to become spend on reactive versus reflective work? Put that in your calendar. So here's the thing. We cannot call something a distraction unless we know what it distracts us from. Let me say that again. This is incredibly important. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. If you have no schedule, if you have nothing planned, everything is a distraction because you don't know what you got distracted from. Mm -hmm. You have to keep that calendar. This is a simple secret. Most people listening won't do it. It's your fault if you don't. If you don't keep a calendar, everything's a distraction. Simple as that. And it's not just me saying this. Thousands, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of peer-reviewed studies have shown this to be one of the most effective things you can do. And then we're going to synchronize that, that schedule with our stakeholders. So that's step two. Step three is hacking back the external triggers, taking a few minutes, making sure you hack back your phone, hack back your computer, hack back your physical environment. And I show you exactly how to do that. Hack back Slack, email, all of these things. There's some simple solutions that you can implement that can prevent all of those pings and dings from interrupting you. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts. And this is the last resort. This is the firewall to prevent you from getting distracted. And here there's some simple things we can do called price packs, effort packs, and identity packs, which are the last resort to make sure we stay in the task at hand. And so there's different ways we can use effort, for example. For example, in my life, my wife and I found that night after night, we were going to bed later and later. 
and you know we were checking our devices we were you know online we were doing things we didn't really want to do what we wanted to do was to go to bed on time so we used an effort pact by going to the hardware store and buying ourselves a $10 outlet timer now this outlet timer will turn on or off anything that's plugged into it at a certain time of day or night so every night at 10 p.m. my internet shuts Shows off, off. <laughs> now i could turn it back on right mm -hmm. i could turn mm -hmm. it back on i could go underneath my desk and i could fiddle with it i could pull it out and put this back in but that requires effort right and that bit of friction reminds me wait a minute is this really what i want to be doing right now that bit of friction increases it, it makes it more likely that i'm mindful about that behavior as opposed to doing it mindlessly so that's the last as a as a fail safe as, a, as the firewall the last step is to prevent distraction with some kind of pact Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes me think of, you know, so many people who want to kind of stop looking at their phone uh, before they go to bed. And I think some people are successful at this, but I am certainly one of those people who has said that I want to do that and I have not successfully done it. So I think that sounds really effective. It's just everything shuts off and then there's no reason to really be looking at your devices. Yeah. And that's the, this is the tip of the iceberg, by the way. There's all kinds of other pacts you can take. You know, one of the most important things is, is the identity pact, right? calling yourself by some kind of moniker makes it much more likely you will stay on track. So a vegetarian doesn't wake up every morning and say, hmm, should I have some bacon for breakfast? No. Why? A I am vegetarian. One. I do not. <laughs> there you go. Is it yeah. hard? Let me ask you. I used to be a vegetarian. Is it hard to not eat meat? No, but I, to be fair, I'm in a unique position where I grew up not eating meat, but I agree. It's, okay. it's not hard. <laughs> it's not it's hard. It's very natural. Why? Because it is who you are right? And so it's part of your identity. And we see this, and this comes from the psychology of religion. When someone calls themselves a devout Muslim, a devout Christian, there are certain things they do and do not do. And they do it without willpower. That's the secret. You don't have to expend willpower to not eat meat. You are a vegetarian. Here's the secret. We can all be indistractable. That's why I titled my book what I did. It's a made-up word. Because I want people to have that moniker and say, yeah, you know what? I do some strange things. Maybe I don't act like everybody else. Just like you don't eat like the majority of people or somebody might not dress like most people because they follow a particular religious uh, doctrine. Hey, guess what? We can be indistractable. That can be who we are. And it's proven in many studies to help you stay on track when you identify with that moniker. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. As you know, Kate is away on maternity leave, but she did have a few things to say in our recurring segment, you might want to write this down. So press pause and get your pen ready because you might want to write this down. How to stop procrastinating. Number one, stop rejecting bad ideas. One reason people procrastinate is that they are worried that their efforts won't be good enough. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. If you wait until you're happy with your first draft of something, you'll never start at all. Instead, allow yourself to start uncensored, knowing that no one has to see it. Once you have something started, it's so much easier to edit it and make it into something you are proud of. Number two, give yourself a short visual deadline. In general, setting fake deadlines doesn't help most people to stop procrastinating, but giving yourself a short visual deadline might. Many people are most productive in their last hour before something is due, so tap into that high level of energy and focus by setting a timer and forcing yourself to work for just that amount of time. It will also be easier to get started because even if you find the task to be torturous, you know that it's only for a short amount of time. Number three, 
Pretend you are going to assign the task to somebody else. If you're avoiding a task, imagine that you've assigned it to another person. Write instructions that contain enough detail for someone else to complete it. Imagining someone else is doing the steps of a task can make you realize that you're capable of those steps. Plus, you might realize that you have more reasonable expectations of others than you do of yourself. And finally, once you've done all the work of planning out the steps involved, the rest of the task may seem much more achievable. Thank you everyone who's reached out over Twitter and on our hotline. That's all for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Secrets of the Most Productive People wherever you listen and get your podcasts. So what questions do you have about staying sane and productive during this weird and crazy time? Let us know by leaving us a voicemail at 201-371-FAST. That's 201-371-3278. And we will find an expert to answer your question. Or you can tweet your question with the hashtag FCMostProductive. If this episode was helpful, please let us know. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Joshua Christensen. 